Hey, it's Vacation Bible School this week, so, you know, as you can see, the theme is a little space-oriented, right? So I thought, since it's space-oriented theme, and I don't have anything better to do, I thought I would give you a quiz question. Well, all right, so that's not completely true, but I wasn't going to give you a quiz question. Do you know what day we put a man on the moon? The date, I'm looking more for the uh, date, uh, <laughs> was 1969, July 17th, 16th, 17th, somewhere in that ballpark, right? That's pretty good. Do you remember who? Okay. Do you remember the famous quote? There we go. All right. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right, so, so here's the deal. Like, when you think about that whole thing, like, how many of you have trouble, like, getting across town on time? Should we trust you to put a man on the moon? Probably not. Okay, like, that whole putting a man on the moon thing, that's, like, pretty serious planning, don't you think? Like, they did all kinds of stuff to try and figure it out and how to get there. And I know something about rockets that you probably don't know. Do you realize that rockets used to have trouble getting off the launch pad? Okay. Now, you knew that. Okay? But I understand something about rockets that I said, again, I don't know that you know this. And that is what they did to fix that problem. See, the reason I know this is my dad used to work at a place called Princeton University. He used to work in a place that had a jet propulsion lab at, the, at Forrestal Campus at Prince University. And when he was working there, they decided that they got to figure out how to get rockets to keep from falling over when they're launching. And they did something really interesting down at the bottom of those rockets. They created kind of a honeycomb pattern in there, which brought stability for the rocket it was launching. So see, when, they, when you're launching a rocket, the idea is to get it in the air, not to get it go... <laughs> that kind of defeats the purpose, right? So if you're going to get somebody to the moon, you got to first get the rocket off the launch pad. It wasn't just rockets going to the moon, but it was rockets for all kinds of things, like Atlas rockets and all those things. But so anyway, he worked in this jet propulsion lab, and they put these honeycomb-looking things in the bottom, and it enabled not just the stabilizer on the side, it enabled the rocket to go straight up and to go in the direction they wanted to. See, because there's no getting a man to the moon if you can't get your rocket 100 feet off the ground. Or if it quits at 1,000 feet, it's still not going to get there. And so they had to go through all this planning. To decide. They, they did all kinds of math, math that I do not understand. They did all kinds of science work that I don't understand. They figured out how to launch a rocket at a specific time to get to meet up with a moon. Like I said, we struggle getting across town. I know they didn't have any traffic to deal with. I get that, but road construction and those things. So they were able to get there. But once they launched, they could get there, and they did it. I know there's some that say it never happened, but we all know that it happened. So, so when <laughs> you laugh, but it's true. People think it didn't happen. And so anyway, so we put a man on the moon, and it takes all kinds of planning to do that. And, and I know what we're about to talk about isn't at the level of science that that was, but it's on that level of planning. See, Peter writes a, a letter to the people in the 
provinces of Asia, Cappadocia, all those places, Bithynia, and he writes this letter, and he's telling them to plan for certain things. The problem is, how many of you are sick of talking about suffering? Like, we've talked about suffering for too many weeks, right? And I thought, you know, we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 4, goodbye suffering, hello good days, right? I mean, no. No, for some reason, Peter's still talking about suffering, and I don't understand it. But we're going to talk about it, because it's in there. I'd prefer to talk about something else, but it's 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 through 11, and we're going to go there, we're going to read this, and I think we can learn something. It says this, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had. And be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires. But you'll be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties. And their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. The first thing I want to talk about is preparation, preparing our minds. Preparing your mind is an important part of life. Right? I mean, in sports, if you're facing a difficult opponent or just going into some kind of experience in a sport, you, you've got to prepare yourself. Preparation is huge. Now, I'm going to bore you for just a moment with one of my, one of my passions, and it's not golf, okay? But, but it's bowling, and I know none of you care, but uh, a couple people care. All right, so here's the deal. In bowling, you've got to prepare yourself for bad breaks. Like, you're going to throw some shots in bowling. Like, if you're in a high-level bowler, you're going to throw some shots in bowling, and you're going to throw a shot, and you're going to leave something, and you're going to be, like, irritated by it. Because you know nine times out of ten, that, that all the time, that, that thing ought to get you a strike. But, but for some reason, that day it doesn't work. See, that's not so bad if the people you're bowling against aren't carrying all kinds of junk. Like, when they're throwing ball and you're looking at that going, that doesn't, and they care, you're like, what is that? You've got to prepare yourself to not get frustrated by what other people get when you don't get what you know you deserve. You've thrown a great shot. I know that you're looking at me like, we don't understand what you're saying. Because if I started using terms like stone eight, ring and ten, you'd be like, what in the world? And so I was trying to keep it simple. But at work, 
If you're in the midst of a week when you know you're going to have a lot of meetings, long hours, some of those things, you better prepare yourself for that thing. You, when you're faced with a week of, of being in a fireworks tent, and it's going to be 100 degrees, and it wasn't so bad this year, but, but just long hours, no sleep, you've got to prepare yourself for those kind of things. And so you've got to prepare your mind to be ready for what's coming. And that's what Peter is telling the people. Look, Jesus suffered like this. Prepare yourself with the same mind, with the same attitude. We see that throughout the scriptures. In fact, we see it in Paul. Paul wrote the same kind of thing to the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he says, You must have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Can you think about that? He, Peter and Paul are saying to you and I and the early church, we got to have the same attitude as Jesus. All right, let's be honest. That's a pretty high level to be attaining to. Wouldn't they, it would have been much easier if they just said, you know, could you have the same, you know, attitude as Joe? Any Joes in here? Didn't mean to like pick Joe, but Joe, you know, because Joe is a little closer to attain to, you know what I'm saying? I mean, but Jesus is a whole other level. Jesus is like, well, he's perfect. And so then the attitude, they're telling us, both Peter and Paul, saying we got to have that same attitude. we got to have the attitude of Christ. And that's the idea. And, and having that attitude enables you to endure the difficulties that you may experience, like suffering. The, the people of the first century suffered. They were beaten. They were imprisoned. They, they experienced all kinds of things. And Peter's encouraging them to be ready when that happens. Again, I don't think we ought to go looking for suffering, okay? I don't think, it's probably, we're just actually saying, let's just be ready when it comes. The end of verse 1, Peter writes something that's pretty profound. He writes, if you've suffered physically for your faith, you're done with sin. <laughs> that's a difficult passage to understand. But, but I do get that if we understand that, if we can understand this, Look, when we've suffered physically for Christ, if you're able to do that, you're able to endure that, do you know there's a lot of things that aren't going to appeal to you? When you're so comfortable in who you are as a follower of Jesus, and you're willing to suffer physically for Him, like, I'm sure it's a lot easier to just go, yeah, I don't have no time for that. Whatever those things are, and He lists them out. He gives us a list of things. He just goes, look, if you... If you if you've suffered physically, you're, you're not going to have any time for that kind of stuff. And honestly, I think we ought to not have time for it, even if we haven't ever suffered physically. I think we ought to have that same attitude as Christ Jesus. And like, even though we're preparing ourselves to suffer if we have to, don't, don't wait for the suffering. We ought to get to the place where our attitude is, I'm going to do the things that Jesus wants me to do. I'm going to walk the road that Jesus wants me to walk. I, I don't have time for this. And, and, and verse 2 says, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires. But you will be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality, lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. We could get into all that. But look, when you look at that list, I think all you got to do is look at that and go, the most important part of that whole passage of Scripture is to be anxious to do the will of God. If we'll take that passage of Scripture and to do the will of God, 
to, to, to do his will, to, to pursue his will, to do everything. Look, we can talk about things that, that aren't right, that, and, and they're listed out through the pages of Scripture over and over again, and, and Peter gives us kind of this, this listing. I just want to ask you one question. On a lot of those things that are listed there, look, we just got to ask the question, uh, is that going to bring me closer to Jesus? Like, is it really worth what I'm about to invest in that? Probably not. Look, there's some amoral things that we, you know, things that, are, that, that don't have any morality associated to them that I think that you've got to wrestle with those as much as you wrestle with some of these other things. Because what happens there is anytime we do anything, anything we spend our time on, it should be the will of God. Now, everything we do can be used for His glory if it's not outright wrong. So we just got to figure that out. And I think we need to be anxious to do the will of God. Here's a question for you that goes along with this. Think about life right now. How much of it is lived for your own desires? How often do you put other people's needs before your own? How often do you put other people's well-being in front of yours? Our desires don't have to be sin. Our desires can be other things. Going to a sporting event, purchasing something, I I don't know. Here's a, how often do we consider if we did whatever that we are going to do that we can't help someone else with something they need? Uh, Let's think in this way. Okay, and I apologize for the lunch illustrations because it's just what happens. Because a week ago I said something about lunch, right? So here it is. The question comes up, if I choose to have steak today for lunch, then I may not have the money to buy a friend's lunch who's going through some tough times and needs encouragement. I mean, that's all that comes down to is, is preparing our minds includes the ability ability to deal with what is the right thing in that moment. It's being able to, and we're going to get into the heart part in just a minute, but but it's about having the heart to do what's right that God wants us to do at that time. I'm not saying eating steak's wrong. I'm just saying there may be a time where you're going to sacrifice eating a steak in order to bless somebody else in the process. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying there's some times that we're going to make a decision. People are going to notice that we're doing some things different. People are going to see that we're trying to do things and bless people, encourage people. Sometimes it's a matter of, look, I, I want to sit and do something by myself at lunch today. And, and instead, I'm going to sit and do it with somebody else. I'm going to have a conversation because this person's going through something right now. It's sacrificing those things in order to reach into somebody else's world. Look, one of the disappointments I have in life is that I moved here to go to college, and I became a follower of Jesus. Now, that's not the disappointment. The disappointment is I never really got to live that out in front of the people that knew me for 17 years. That's the disappointment. See, because what we're about to see is that kind of thing is really important. That kind of experience is really good. Now, that kind of experience can bring suffering. It can bring persecution with it. But that's the important thing. My, My parents got to see it. But the friends that I grew up around and, and, and knew, they didn't get to see it. I, I remember one time, I, just out of college, I went home for, for my friend Tom's wedding. Tom was at my wedding, and, and, and I went to, to be with, with him. For, Tom and I met in a bowling alley. Um, we were youth bowlers. We l- 
met there, and I, I flew home to, to be in his wedding, or to be at his wedding, and, and I was sitting around a table with some people, and, and it, was, it was so cool, because these guys actually knew who I was, just from being a youth bowler and all those things, and in that moment, I got this opportunity to share Christ with them, and that was so cool, but, but I'd never experienced that, that realization but we're, of what we're about to read. We've already read it once, but, but I never got that experience of verse 4, which is, of course, your former friends are surprised when you're no longer plunged into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. But remember, they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. So look, we've got to prepare our minds. The second part is we really need to prepare our hearts. We need to prepare our hearts. See, like when we understand that we're going to go through difficulty for doing the right thing, we can kind of prepare ourselves for that. Then that's preparing our minds. But preparing our hearts is another thing. And that's found in verses 7 and 8. And it says, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnestly disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. You know, the more we see going on in our world today, the more convinced we become that the end of the world is coming. They believed that in the first century. They believed that, that Jesus was returning, and I believe we must still believe that today. In fact, we need to live with the, with the thought of eternity in mind more and more because it will make decisions that we face easier. It will make decisions that we face more understood for us. We'll, we'll be able to see them with clarity uh, because we know that there's eternity coming. And, and in the midst of that, you have to understand a principle that some people struggle with. It's called delayed gratification. A simple explanation is if I don't buy this new car today and drive a lesser car, then I can, in a couple years, buy a home or drive a different car or whatever and something along those lines. And Dave Ramsey has a saying that if anybody who listens to his radio show or has gone through financial peace, you'll know this. And it is this. If you live like no one else later, you can live like no one else. And it's a spiritual principle as well. I mean, it works well that way. Um, Peter is telling us to prepare our hearts to do exactly that. Peter is telling us to be ready. And the way we're going to get ready is to be earnest and disciplined in our prayers. One of the reasons why we need a consistent prayer life in our lives is so that we'll prepare, we will be prepared for suffering. Like, like we need to be ready when we face questions about changes in our life. See, the only way we're going to be ready in that moment, the only way we're going to be ready to face uncertainties and difficulty is to have a relationship with Jesus that's ongoing. Not just I, I, I surrendered my, my sins to Jesus. See, that's just the starting point. The, the, the rest of this is all about a relationship with Jesus. It's going to help you navigate the difficulties of life. And if you'll do that, if you'll spend time in His presence, not just on Sundays, not, but, but spend time in His presence in prayer. And I'm not talking about, like, we're not talking hours and hours. I'm talking about there are seasons of time in your life that need to be spent in prayer. And, and so every day there needs to be some set of time that you're investing in prayer. Now, some of you need to start with five minutes. Some of you need to get to 30. Some of you need to get an hour, whatever. But you need to start where you are and start. And then 
at certain periods of your life, you're going to need to spend significant amounts of time in prayer. Jesus modeled that for us. Facing difficult moments, being ready to face them. He spent overnight in prayer. He got up early to pray. He, he made sure that he spent significant amounts of time, especially faced with large decisions, he spent significant amounts of time in prayer. And so faced with that same thing, we, we need to prepare ourselves that way as well. And so that's why Peter's saying, look, pray. Be, be, be consistent in your prayer. And look, in prayer, we're aligning our wills to God's will. We're, we're allowing God to mold and shape our desires and our wants to His will and preparing us to respond well in difficulty. Prepare our hearts. Prepare our hearts for all kinds of things. Prepare our hearts because, look, it's much easier to respond, or not easier, but it's better to respond with love than judgment and hurt. It's easier, to, it's better to respond that way. And that's not easier, I wouldn't say. But, but you, see, here's a, here's a case in point. <laughs> okay, what happens, not a real life example in my home, okay? When your teenager has a fender bender uh, because they're distracted by their phone or radio in their car. How do you respond to that? Do you respond with judgment or do you respond with love? I realize there's rights and wrongs and shouldn't be doing certain things, but the question is, how do we respond to that? And, and, and prepare yourself for those moments. How do you respond when other people wreck cars? <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, we only have accidents in one place, our driveway. Don't park your car in our driveway. Somebody's going to hit it, okay? I won't tell any stories on my wife because she's the one who's normally guilty. But she's not in here. You're going to tell her. Yeah, I'm not shocked by that. She knows it. But I, like I said, I'm going to tell a story on myself. See, we had, uh, oh, we, we were doing foster care, and we had, uh, we had this little guy who was from Ansel School who went into foster care and he stayed a few nights with us, and he um, was pretty active. And we had our foster care worker, our worker at the house, and I had ready to back out. I was taking Janae someplace, and I backed up, and here he comes out the front door. I'm like, no, 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 you got to. So I get out of the car, I'm walking back in. I'm ready to back up again. He comes out the front door again. I'm like, you doing get back in the house and like Angel, Angel, I have to leave like keep an eye on like lock the door sit in front of the door I don't care what you do just do something I back up bam right into the worker's car I'm like oh <laughs> I thought about that 10 minutes ago when I tried to leave the first time um, my fault fortunately I didn't do any damage to her car um, but we only hit cars in our driveway so how do we respond in those moments Angela felt so bad the last time she did something like that. She says, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> yeah. They're just cars. Why buy cheap ones? <laughs> Respond in love. It's only a car. The third part of today is you've got to prepare to serve. Verse 9 says, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy God supplies. 
then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Let's have it. Let me just tell you there's something powerful about having people into your home. The hospitality that was practiced in the first century is probably impossible, impossible to match today. Okay, because here's the deal, all right? The first time somebody comes knocking on your door because they're just traveling through and they want a place to stay that night, you're not opening the door. In fact, you're probably calling the police. Okay, so that's not hospitable at all. All right, people getting arrested just because they want a place to stay. That happened in the first century, probably not going to happen today. I'm not talking about that, but, but, but we do need to practice hospitality. People eating together and spending time together are, are really important. Look, if you haven't had people into your home in a while, may I suggest you do? Make plans to invite somebody to join you. Have them, it doesn't have to be difficult. Look, here, I'm going to give you a couple examples, real life ones, in fact. Look, when I was a poor college student, I worked at a Christian bookstore here in town. And uh, Mark and Levon Holmgren invited me over to their house. I was a poor college student. They fed me. I didn't go to church with them. I just was working with Mark at the bookstore. And they invited me and a coworker over um, to have dinner um, because they felt sorry for me. I mean, ramen was gourmet for me. You know what I'm saying? So everybody takes pity on me. It's so funny. I mean, like my grandmother did, my grandparents, they fed me well. I mean, it was amazing. So then when I went out and living by myself, they, they're like, oh, come on over for dinner. They fed me, fed me spaghetti. It was wonderful. So, I mean, when you think about that, and I'll never forget it. Look, Ansel and I attended a church right after we were married. Like the first day we show up at this church, and these people invite us to their house that night. Like there was a gap in age, and, and the, 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 you know, they didn't know that I would become their kid's youth pastor. No idea. Like this was 1988. And I remember it. Like, I don't remember what I did yesterday. But I remember the people's house. I remember where it was. I can still drive you to the house that it was at. Now, I went there a few other times after that. But I'm just saying, people inviting you into the home makes an impression on you. And it leaves an impact. And, and you just don't know. And I, I'm just saying that, that we ought to do that. I mean, it, it, it's something that when I look around the room and I think, all right, who's going to invite so-and-so into their home? And I love to have people in our home. We, we love it. We, we love to have people there. Here, I'll give you one. Look, we're about a month away from the start of school, like Washburn University. When Washburn starts, we'll have colleges walk through the doors here. And they'll want something to eat. So if you take them out to eat, or you invite them to their home, you will be their hero. And some of them won't know Jesus, maybe, when they walk through the door. And you might have an impact to introduce them to the Savior. You might have opportunity to show them who Jesus is. And, and, and on the other hand, they may be moving here for, for the first time, and, 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 and they've never away from home, and, and, and they're going to be lost in a college setting, and, and, and they're going to need somebody to take interest. I'm telling you, you could do something powerful. And you're going to think, well, yeah, but I'm old. Hey, look, just admit it to them right away. Just look at them. I do it all the time. I'm coaching students in a, in a bowling alley, right? They're all teenagers. And I'll say something to them, and I just go, look, 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 I know, I know. I'm old and gray-headed. I get it. But you, you can listen for just a moment. Look, just admit it. I know you don't want to hang out with the old people, but, but I'll buy you lunch. I'll hang out with you. It's that, that simple. College students need food. And if you home cook a meal for them, oh, my goodness. They'll love you forever. 
They will. Because, because that, that, you know, as long as it's good, if I cook for them, they might not. <laughs> but whatever your gift is, use it to serve. Every one of us have been given gifts by God. Use them to serve. One of the things that's covered in our starting point class that, that Frank Lorraine lead is, is spiritual gifts and finding a place in ministry. And, and if you, you've never gone through that class, and well, there'll be another one starting up as you know, school starting, and you'll be able to discover what it is that God has made you for. And, and, and learn. There's no excuse for the follower of Jesus not to be serving in some capacity, both in the church and outside the church. Ministry and service should be synonymous with the follower of Jesus. The ministries will vary. What you do is going to be different. Everybody's different, gifted differently. That's not important. But in serving, we're going to bring glory to God. That's what the scriptures teach us. That everything you do will bring glory to God. Do you notice a theme? When we suffer, we bring glory to God. And people take notice. When we stop doing the things we once did, people take notice. And it brings glory to God. When we love others deeply, when we love people deeply, when we love the fellow believers and we demonstrate love, when we extend grace and mercy to people, people notice and it brings glory to God. When we use the gifts that God has given us, whether it be playing a piano or speaking or, or serving or whatever that is, we, it brings glory to God. Everything of our life should be pointing people to God. Our suffering, our victory, our joys and our struggles, as well as our service, it all ought to bring glory to to God today, I want you to ask God a question. He's all right with it. I want you to ask God a question. How do I need to prepare my mind? I want you to ask him another one. How do I need to have my heart prepared? And finally, I want you to ask God, how he wants you to serve. I don't know what that is for you. Angela and I try to discover every single day what it is for us to do. In the different settings and different scenarios where I'm at, I'm trying to figure out how can I serve? How can I serve others and how can I bring glory to God? They, they, they vary, like whether it's in the church or whether it be, you know, in a bowling alley or in conversations with people that I see, how can I serve? I want to serve people. But in my serving, I just don't want to serve. I want to bring glory to God. I want Him to be lifted up. I want Him to be honored. I want people to take notice of what we're doing as followers of Jesus, and I want them to see it's Christ, and I want to bring glory to God. I don't care if you're throwing a baseball and you're pitching bring glory to God. If you're doing whatever, whatever you do, whatever your life is all about, bring glory to God. If you're walking through cancer stuff, then bring glory to God because you can bring glory to God in the midst of that. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what you're walking through. And I don't know what you're going to do, but I want you, every one of us, to realize that whatever we face, bring glory to God. That's the highest purpose we can serve. If everything we're doing is pointing people to Him, it's bring glory to Him. It's a powerful thing. And if we'll just do that, man, that's what Peter is trying to tell that early church. Look, prepare your minds, prepare your hearts. 
prepare to serve because you're going to bring glory to God if you'll do that. And that's what we're asking today. And that's what I'm asking you to ask God. I'm looking for a fully engaged, fully deployed body of Christ that's represented on every one of our campuses. But in particular, this one. I want everybody serving in some capacity. Because there's a reason why we, we tell you that we want you to connect to God. Because if you don't connect to God first, nothing else matters. But the second part of that is connect to others. Because we've got to do this thing together. You have to understand, you need to connect to your calling. You know, connect to what you're called to do, what, what God has gifted you for. And it's for the purpose of reaching a community, reaching people around us. And, and all of that is on purpose. We've we got to connect to God. It's right here in this, this passage of Scripture. Know Christ. Prepare your mind. Connect to others. Show hospitality. Use the gifts and callings that God has given you. And now, affect the people around you for the, for the cause of Christ. Point people to God and you're going to bring Him glory. That's the challenge for all of us today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives. And Lord, I do pray that you would prepare our minds. Lord, you'd help us be ready for anything we face. And Lord, prepare our hearts. Prepare our hearts with compassion. Prepare our hearts with love and care for those around us. People who know you and people who don't know you. God, prepare us for that. And Lord, prepare us to serve. Prepare us to lay down our lives, to, 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 to surrender our will to your will, to accomplish your work in our world. Lord, that we would just be willing to pour our lives out for others. God, to accomplish your work and to see people come to the kingdom. God, I thank you that you're at work and you're doing great things in all of our lives. Lord, help nothing to derail that. God, help us to keep anything that, that's going to derail the work that you're doing in us and and through us away. And God, help us to serve you with all that we have. God, I thank you for it. And Lord, most of all, I want my life and I want everyone's life here to be an act of worship for your glory and for your honor. God, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name.